0: Welcome to the program that I hope you do enjoy. I enjoy it because I love doing it. I love talking with the people that come our way. And a a gentleman that has come our way uh, um, through a a wonderfully circuitous route. I hope I've pronounced that right. Circular drive, so to speak. Uh, Thomas Elsner, uh, JDMA. He's a Jungian analyst, Uh, He's a psychologist, and he's actually right here uh, in uh, Santa Barbara, California, and uh, we are going to have a very interesting conversation uh, today with him about psychology. What's Jungian psychology? What sets that apart from, you know, where is it on, let's say, the scale of all of the different, well, I guess we'll call them psychological schools of thought, maybe. Maybe that's one way to put it. Uh, as well as other things as well, and uh, I want to thank you so much, uh, <coughs> Dr. Uh, Tom, it's good to have you on the program.
1: Uh, great, Richard. It's great to be here. I, I'm really looking forward to it. You're such an eloquent and great uh, interviewer, so it's a pleasure for me. Great well, to be talking with you. Well, yeah. thank
0: thank you very much for the compliment, and uh, mm-hmm. I will leave it at that. It used to be years ago, Tom, that I would get a compliment, and I would go into explanation. <laughs> as to why i was the way you said i was uh and then i started hearing myself going you know you just need to shut up <laughs> <laughs> just, take,
1: just take the compliment just yeah. take it will you please
0: <laughs> you know they're giving you a 500 hundred dollar check why do you need to explain what you're going to do with it just just move on you know uh i took psychology in college and we learned a lot. I didn't do well in the course. I think a C or a D, maybe. But it was fascinating to me. Um, now that's it's a whole different area than psychiatry, uh, because I think psychology. I mean, you're talking about Freud. You're talking about, in your case, uh, Carl Jung, and there are so many other schools of thought, if that's the right word to use, when it comes to psychology. Uh, first of all, I guess uh, we will start where I like to start in these programs, defining terms, <clears throat> and what is, uh, in in a definition, if you will, what is Jungian psychology?
1: Well, yeah, great place to start. Um, Jungian psychology, as you mentioned, came out of Freudian psychology. Jung was one of Freud's, well, maybe his chief disciple, the crown prince to the Freudian psychoanalytic (laughs) tradition as he's once called. Um, And Jung was a young man and Freud was a father figure to him but they had a close relationship. So, you know, Jungian psychology is a subset of what's been more generally called depth psychology or the psychology of the unconscious mind. Um, So Freud's, Freud's analogy, right, was that the conscious mind is the tip of the iceberg and little piece of the iceberg pops up above the water, but the vast majority of the iceberg is down below under the water that you can't see. So Jungian psychology is a psychology of the unconscious, and it, it um, focuses on the root causes of what's you know manifesting in our conscious life that we don't know, um, that are truly unconscious. Um, some, some of your listeners might be familiar with Jungian psychology through some of the phrases that he invented, introversion, extroversion, synchronicity, Jungian psychoanalysts work a lot with dreams. Jung invented the term complex, maybe for the father complex or inferiority complex. He was the introvert, in, inventor of that, too. So, you know, that's mm. a little bit of a background into what we're talking about when we're it, talking about Jung.
0: It also goes to show <clears throat> that nothing comes out of a vacuum, as you said, he, he Jung, uh, Jung was actually uh, one of um, Freud's, shall we say, proteges. Yes. And uh, I'm sure Freud, Freud, uh, although I guess they do use the term father of psychology, I'm not sure if he is actually the father of psychology in that regard, but he obviously had to have studied someone else who came along before him and so on and so forth, right? So, I mean, it's a, it's, Absolutely. A, it's yeah. a, it's a path.
1: There's a, a path. Definitely. And you can trace that path back indefinitely. I mean, back thousands of years to the proto-psychologists that Jung was interested in, for instance, the alchemists. Um, But the more recent, you know, past um, foundations of Freudian Jungian psychology can be found in the 19th century, specifically in the, the phenomenon of romanticism, German and English romanticism. You might have heard of the romantic poets like Coleridge and Wordsworth and Keats. And people like this in Germany and England in the 19th century, who were interested in the primacy of the unconscious mind, and were fascinated with all that the Enlightenment had left out of its purview—you know, madness, uh, deep emotional states, imagination, fantasy, this, the Gothic horror, the supernatural. The Romantic poets were interested psychologically in these phenomena that you know the more rational, scientific dimensions of that era had just dismissed as delusion only, or only psychosis. And these romantic poets were interested in the, the metaphors that would, would be true within what looked like delusional states. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the immediate foundation of Freud and Jung. Freud, for instance, won the Goethe Prize for Literature, believe it or not. And he was a brilliant writer, you know. And he said, it was wasn't me that that discovered the unconscious, but the poets that came before me discovered the unconscious and I was the one who invented the scientific means of studying the unconscious. So, yeah, so it's a Freudian and Jungian psychology as a rich tradition going back into poetry, philosophy, religion, obviously mythology, alchemy, all of this sort of stuff that the Enlightenment just wrote off as worthless delusion.
0: Well, tell me about your your mother. How do you feel about your mother? You know, it's interesting. Uh, and that's usually, usually what most people think about when they think about psychology. And I have to say that uh, in my early days as a young man and even a, as a boy, uh, one of my favorite television programs and I think maybe this is one of the reasons why I kind of was curious about psychology. My favorite television program was Bob Newhart, and he was a psychologist, and they would have snippets every so often of a little therapy going on and I'd like to think that that it was uh scripted in in at least um a fairly honest uh, way uh with the the characters responding in the way those characters would, like Carlin. Uh, uh Mr. Carlin would, because would, he was always the cynic, he was just the, the he, he wasn't an old man, but he was already grumpy, so he was all set for his old age, uh, and it was just very fascinating to watch the dynamics that unfolded. I've been through therapy with a psychologist before. Uh, <clears throat> I'm curious, and I'm just, I want to put this out there uh, to you and see what you think. I had <clears throat> a therapist I was asked to go see, I acquiesced because I thought, you know, for the peace of the household, I'll do this. Who said to me that I had, and this was her word, these were her words, not mine, that I had character flaws. Would you ever tell a patient that they had character flaws and using those words?
1: Um. As, no. Yeah. Wouldn't.
0: Yeah. And then when no. asked... List for me all of the names uh, or the names of uh, as many of your uh, your friends as you can. Ninety-nine percent of them were female. And she just and immediately thought that I had problems. Well, I was a young man in my late 20s or early 30s. Why would I not have a lot of good friends that were female? I mean, I'm a young man that likes females. What's Where's the problem? But apparently she thought there was a problem. So I have a feeling she went in uh, with preconceived notions. How do you prevent yourself from going into a session or taking on a client uh, and preventing all of that? Because you've seen other patients, you're living your life, you're experiencing, you're growing, you're expanding and so forth. Uh, how do you stay, shall we say, in your lane when you're dealing with somebody new?
1: So, Richard, thank you. That's a wonderful question. Really, really great question. Um, you know, I have to say just on a personal level as well as a professional level, I have an antagonistic attitude to people that have a, an over, overly rigid sense of certainty. Um, and when I work with somebody, I try as much as possible so just put aside whatever preconceptions I have and, and say, okay, I have no idea why you're here. I have no idea who you are or what the self wants for you, so to speak, or what your destiny in life is. And I try to be as curious as possible. Ask as many questions as possible, you know, which makes the whole process interesting rather than coming in with a dogmatic attitude from the start um, and judging judging people so, I mean, I understand the turnoff of that, starting with you have character flaws, and here's something about your life that you have no problem with at all. It's a positive dimension of your life, and now it's being judged negatively. Like, we're, we've are we got this critical eye, we're going to find what's wrong with you, Richard, and I know in advance what that is. I think that's horrible, and you see it a lot in psychology, sadly, in various ways.
0: Uh, you know, you, you, uh, uh, you bring it up uh, an interesting point because uh, it's almost the same as <clears throat> taking your car to a mechanic and you tell them about a small little problem uh, in the front end or something, a little sound that you want to check out. Maybe there's – maybe somebody left a tool up there and every time you hit a bump, it rattles, but you don't know what it is. And they uh, – when, when you come back, they've diagnosed three other things. And it's like, uh, but, but that's not what I came here for. <laughs>
1: yeah um, <laughs> right
0: and and it seems as though <clears throat> some people go into these fields not necessarily to help people but to help themselves uh so they they get into these uh high paying uh what could be very fairly profitable uh, uh areas uh and all they're trying to do is pad the bill you know a bill mm-hmm. uh have some billable hours as attorneys uh say and and that's really unfortunate, and uh, uh, we don't do that here on Tell Me Your Story. What we do is we try to give you information, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I'm talking with Dr. Thomas Elsner. He is a Jungian psychologist or analyst. Uh, now, what's the difference? Is it the same thing, just a different name, uh, psychologist versus uh, analyst?
1: Uh in some ways it's the same thing with a different name, in some time, some ways it's different. My license is I'm licensed as a psychoanalyst analyst with the California Medical Board. So clinical psychologists do a lot more testing. They're trained in do standardized testing and exams and things like that that the psychoanalysts aren't trained in. So there's some differences, but you know, mostly it's a it's for most people it would be a difference in name.
0: Okay. Well, stay with us, folks. We're going to continue our conversation uh, with the doctor. The good doctor's here. Uh, He's in the house, and uh, we are so grateful that he's here joining us here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for staying with us on Tell Me Your Story as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. It's new paradigms for a new world, and as we like to say, uh, Dr. uh, Thomas Elsner, um we're looking for those new ways of living uh because quite honestly all you have to do is look around you the old ways they just aren't working anymore for whatever reason i'm not even going to try to def- to figure out why they're not working i don't care they aren't working it's time to uh, look for those new ways i don't know if it's going to be found Uh, Necessarily through psychology, I don't know uh, what the next step. I'm curious uh, from your perspective. Obviously, with Freud and and Jung and and some of the others in the 19th into the 20th centuries, uh, you know, is is there anything new that that we can turn to, or are we right now sort of um, subject to the old ways of, um, if I'm using the right term here, psychoanalysis or facilitating an individual's, um, shall we call it, uh, what, internal psychological growth to, to, I like to say, a higher consciousness. Because if we can get through a lot of the garbage that we've gathered up over the years of our lives, maybe we can get to the our life's purpose and... As we kind of jokingly talked about at the beginning of the program or before we started about being of service, uh, someone would ask me that question about purpose. And I say, well, my, my purpose is to be of service if I can. And at the same time, being of service without losing myself.
1: Um, so, yes, I think, you know, the, the intersection between our, our personal lives, Richard, you know, and what's happening generally in the culture is really interesting to me so we know as you're saying if we talk about cultural issues that the world is changing so much we all feel that in so many different ways the theme of transformation that you can find archetypally all across time and all across the world is die and be reborn this is the way things change the way transformation happens old ways die and hopefully new ways come out of that so you know, the, this intersection between where are we in our individual lives living through our own little deaths and rebirths, you know, where our old values crumble, our old sense of meaning doesn't hold water anymore, old marriages that used to be alive or dead, old vocations, you know, we are looking for something new. People that come to me that are living through these types of crises often feel like they, they are dying sometimes, or they can feel depressed. Or, you know, as in a midlife crisis, when the juice of life leaves, the values die. Where are the new values going to be coming from? Where's the new life going to come from? There's This is the major theme to just start with, die and be reborn. I remember one of my patients who was going through a very dark time, a very dark depression. Um, a man, he had you talk about dreams in Jungian analysis. We very literally look at dreams to see whether there's new sparks of life might be coming, you know, and this man consciously was depressed, very down, dark time in his life. He was having dreams that were, were, had symbolism of, of rebirth in them, new sprouts of life growing from the earth, you know, symbols that would say you're in a process of change. And I told him that I remember once in a session, I said, your dreams are, showing you that you're in a transformation process. And I'll never forget what he did. He just looked down, he had his hands over his head, and he said, doesn't feel like transformation. <laughs> you know, and I always remembered that because I thought, well, my God, I shouldn't have said that. But then later on, I said, well, he must have an idea what transformation feels like. If I say to you, you're being transformed, maybe you think you're glowing with light, or you're getting stronger or more beautiful, or, Richer or better, or something. And you very rarely think about the caterpillar crawling in the chrysalis and turning to goo, literally <laughs> dissolving before it is reborn as a butterfly. And it doesn't know that it's going to be a butterfly. All it knows is it's dissolving. So, this is the thing that Jung found to be at the bottom of processes of change is the destruction of the old is the beginning of the new. And we're going to have to live through some dark times before the new life, if it does come, new values, if they do come, the new church, if it does come, the new, you know, world, if it does come, is going to be out of the ashes of the old. So that's what I can, you know, start with as a foundation for how these processes take place, individually and collectively.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things we talk about pretty regularly on this program is that process Mm -hmm. of transformation. Uh, I myself am looking at uh, um, the various phases of transformation that I've been through in my life, not only in terms of the chronology. um, I also uh, remember um, thinking about the, the, the question that I know, Probably was asked more times than he cared to have answered, uh, uh, um, uh, Robert Bly, uh, uh, regarding men. You know, well, when does a boy become a man? And is it, you know, when do we come of age uh, for a Jewish boy going through his bar mitzvah? Is it thirteen? Well, in the West, it's not because they'll have the bar mitzvah, but they still treat him as a as a young teen, a, a preteen, or what have you, an adolescent. Uh, whereas I'm sure in the East. Uh, they, uh, he, he's a man and in certain tribes, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, and, and, uh, uh what is it? Is it 16 when you get your driving, li- a dri- a driving permit? Is it 18 when you come of age to vote? Is it 21 when you can drink? Is it your first sexual experience? Is it this, that, and the other thing? And I remember, I remember, uh, and I'll share this with you. Uh, I, I used to ask myself that question, in my early 20s and mid-20s and late 20s, you know, I wonder, you know, I, I don't know that I necessarily feel feel like a man necessarily. I mean, I'm 20, 25, and they say you're a man because you're of age. That's chronology. But what about up here? What about in here? And um, I had an experience where I was up in the woods with some friends of mine. And uh, this one uh, a, 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 a friend of mine that uh, I had helped work on his boat, refurbish the bottom with fiberglass and so forth. We were up there, and he was going on and on about uh, how I should do this and that and the other thing. And finally, I just got fed up. I grew up in a family of eight, okay? And I was asked mm-hmm. to do certain chores. So I knew how to do things. And I just threw the stuff down, and I, I went up the hill. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a Vietnam vet, and somehow I guess I triggered his PTSD. And he comes a rolling up the hill, and he's an elderly gentleman probably at the time. I was 33 at the time. And He was probably in his 60s. And he says, you triggered my PTSD. I says, I don't care. I says, you're not my father, nor are you my professor. I know how to do stuff. Okay. Uh, So you need to back off. And um, he finally, I think he got the message. Uh, He actually left the next morning because he had medical appointments. He had to to go to at the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale. And so I was there all alone. No vehicle, mind you. I'm stuck until the next guy comes up that evening (laughs) Well, the boat was there. I had food. I had a fireplace. I had the tent. I had water. I had all the things that I needed. So I started my morning getting cleaned up, doing the dishes, organizing the camp. I thought, I'm going to put that darn boat in the water, and I'm going to row back. And and I did. I rowed back and forth on that Mm -hmm. lake. Had the greatest time. Went back to the campsite. I lit this big fire for one hot dog. (laughs) One hot dog. But it was great. I enjoyed myself, just relaxed around there. Then our other buddy showed up. It was the three of us, but our other buddy showed up, and I was still by myself. And he had brought with him, of course, uh, you know, some alcohol, some beer, and Jack Daniels. He brought some baked beans and a big pot with uh, a boneless ham and he uh, a bone-in ham. Stuck those on the fire on the fireplace and simmered those away. And we're sitting there at the picnic table having a beer with, uh, uh, I guess it was a Jack Daniels chaser, which I had never done before. Mm-hmm. Now, I got to tell you, it made me think of that scene in City Slickers, the first one, where they're riding horses and Mitch says, what was your best day? What was your best day? And they go around, uh, you know, go around the three of them saying, well, my best day was when so-and-so was born or my best day was when I got married or whatever. And as I got to the conclusion of that camping trip, I, I, av- I took a look at that question. And it was that day I just described to you with the ending that I just described to you, which I got to tell you, even though I, I was not a big uh, straight uh, Jack Daniels drinker, mind you. <laughs> um, I was 33. It was Labor Day weekend, by the way. I still remember that. And that was my best day. And for one month, every day after that became my best day. Huh. Is that something that um, you try to? I don't know if that's part of the Jungian philosophy or not. Of trying to look at, and and I I don't think that it's in the context of the positives versus the negatives. It's it's looking at. Your your assets are what you're grateful for. That kind of thing. Again, not knowing the ins and outs of this psychological a teaching, if mm-hmm. that's part of it or not, is that something that is is uh, that you try to get your uh, your patients to look at?
1: I think that's a great question. The best day. I mean, I would want to know more. What made that the best day for you? Was it? I mean, something happened there that gave you a sense of this is.
0: Oh, it's very simple. Very simple. I stood up for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I stood up for myself to the professor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you're standing up to that guy, the Vietnam vet, but you're like, you just said, you're also standing up to quote the professor or the father. So you're working through something there with him. At the same time, it's him. You're working through something that was uh, evidently a stuck place for you or an initiatory event happened or it broke through into a sense of this is me now. I'm free from some shackle. You know, that's what Jung called the father complex, you know, that can keep you down or keep you feeling like an adolescent or castrate you or give you less of a sense of authority or power about yourself. So the best day is the day you felt most yourself. I mean that's the best day for you. And that's yeah. the form it takes for you. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean that's says a lot about you. It says a lot about, you know, what you were it tells me a lot about your past and what you were working through. And for you, that's the best day for another person. Their best day would be something completely different. And that's what we're interested in Jungian psychology is what, who are you, you know, Mm -hmm. what is that for you? What's your best day? What are your issues that you're working through? What's the solution coming from within your own resources? that's going to help you. And the Jungian psychoanalyst is a person who accompanies you, you know, on that journey including a journey with your dreams, the journey that it expresses itself in your unconscious, as well as your your you know early up, growing up years, your relationship with your father, relationships with authority figures, all of that stuff. Yeah. So I love that. The best day. That's a great way to put it. Something happened there that was meaningful and that gave you a sense of self.
0: And it was exciting. And the thing I, I can remember now, I don't see myself as being angry, okay, I, I saw myself as sort of taking back my power, saying, stop. And I've actually done that with a few other people over the years since then, where they start saying something about me. Sometimes it is even derogatory. I had a gentleman once say to me, blah, 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 you you idiot. And I said, stop right there, you Mother. And I stopped myself. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And I looked, I was looking him square in the face, basically saying, look, we can talk about what you're upset about, but don't you attack me. Don't you start name calling me. I had enough of that in school being bullied. We're not going there. I'm not playing that game. And I think that finding one's voice is very important. We'll talk, let's talk about that in terms of finding one's voice as we continue talking with Thomas Elsner. He is a Jungian analy- analyst. I keep wanting uh, to say analysis. <laughs> Another <laughs> new word, new word. Um, and we're going to continue doing that here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and uh, Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, 9 a.m. on Wednesdays. I hope you listen to them all. They're streaming live at RichardDugan.com and we're also on podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry and many other locations too numerous to mention. I do have to say that because you folks are reposting our interviews. But we are also on YouTube. Oh man, I love it. I I I absolutely love producing those uh, videos and posting them up there. And if you'd like to, why don't you subscribe? I've got 31 subscribers thus far, and uh, you don't care how many I have. I'm just glad you folks are watching the videos or listening to the podcast. We're almost to 42,000 listens in three and a half years, folks. Uh, Can't thank you enough. Those are the podcasts. So keep, uh, keep doing that, and we'll continue here on Tell Me Your Story as we talk with our very special guest. And we're talking with our very special guest here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Dr. Thomas Elsner, and he is a Jungian analyst, and we are talking about your voice. Um, The program here is, of course, Tell Me Your Story. Well, in order to do that, you have to have a voice. You have to find your voice in order to find your story. Do you find... That many of your clients just don't have or they haven't found their voice where they can speak their truth and start telling you who they really are
1: for some people that's a huge huge issue it's the it, it is the issue in analysis and some people feel of course very through trauma growing up or bad family situations, or like you mentioned earlier, being bullied or whatever it might be, they've learned, uh-uh, not a good idea to have my voice. That's not going to go well. If I speak up, I get hit. If I have a different opinion than my family, I get criticized. You know, um, think about a kid comes home from school. He's maybe drawn a drawing. He brings it back to his mom. Look, mom, I drew this drawing. And what if she says, Oh, what the hell? trees aren't red you call it out of the line crumples it up throws it in the trash that's a kid who's just learned a lesson not a good idea to have my voice so to speak mm-hmm. you know so we develop because of that defense systems that protect us from getting hurt so for some people this is how that that stuff manifests in terms of what do you feel what do you really think uh, here we are me and you it's confidential No judgments. I want to know what does that really feel like to you that you just lived through? What do you really want to tell your spouse? What do you want to tell your boss? What do you want for your life? Uh, It can be very helpful to have someone with you who's (laughs) maybe for the first time even caring about asking those questions and not judging you or criticizing you. So, you know, sometimes we got to work through a lot of what we call defense systems that strangely protect us from getting hurt but at the same time prevent us from having our voice or being authentic or being real.
0: And our institutions foster that. They foster us not having our own voice. Our religious institutions tell us what to believe. Our political institutions, I, I sometimes wonder uh, how many people, of, regardless of what side of the aisle they choose to to belong to, really believe the stuff they are spewing out, the the people who chose to ransack the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. I wonder if they were, if that was their true self, if they were really expressing their voice or if they were just regurgitating, and I think that's an appropriate word, uh, messages from on high. Uh, that and so forth, and, and our educational institutions. How many people even knew about uh, the great economic boon of the black community in Arkansas that was destroyed over a situation that didn't even happen and th- they lost everything? How many people even knew for example, uh, that certain ethnic groups have had a play in certain parts of our social and economic growth, uh, our space program, uh, different institutions as far as, you know, moving forward, upward and onward and evolving uh, that we didn't hear about in grade school history class. I don't remember hearing about a lot of this stuff. What I do remember, uh, Tom, is on the... uh, uh, Quintincentennial, I think, the 500th anniversary (laughs) of Christopher Columbus sailing the ocean blue in 1492. Uh, I was working for a a Christian radio station at the time, and I remember what I learned in school, okay, Uh, as well as the the cute little poetic uh, uh, quote. But I started hearing three different versions of history. He was the devil incarnate. He was an angel sent by God. And then he was just an explorer. Yeah. And I'm going, I didn't hear any of this when I was in school. And I know there's there's probably truth in all of all three of those. Uh, it's a, a, con- a conglomeration. Um, and yet we accept what we are being told. And I know that, that this is a little off Mm. the beaten path, because when you talk about someone finding their voice, it isn't about what they know of history or math or science or biology Mm. or, uh, you know, by the way, did you become an epidemiologist uh, in March of 2020 when the virus Mm. and the pandemic hit? Because it was amazing to me to see how many people in in the broadcast industry suddenly became experts in epidemiology. I just thought that was, (laughs) I guess they got it by osmosis or something, you know. Because yeah, uh, I yeah. still say, I don't know, but we we buy into so much of this and it's like, is that really, is that really me or am I being led by the by the nose ring?
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, fantastic. There's a lot in what you just said. Sorry about this that. She- <laughs> <laughs> no, It's great. It's just, I'm trying my best to listen. And, you know, but it, just the general thing you're saying is this in the culture, there's this horrible tendency I'll just translate into a brief way what you said and how it hits me Um, to be on the right team, you know, and there's a right team and there's a wrong team. And we are good and we think correctly and they are bad and they think incorrectly. We are good. They are evil, horrible people. And you see it on the right and you see it on the left. And if you turn on MSNBC, Fox News, whatever, you'll see the same to me, very boring, stuck story in which it's much easier to project. This is Jungian terms we'll bring into this discussion now to project our own shadows onto enemies outside and fight them in that way, rather than to integrate our own shadows, deal with the enemy within us. Um, the first is much easier than the second. And if you look at say political revolutions throughout history, French revolution, Russian revolution, the Cuban revolution. The revolutionaries are always fighting against horrible tyrannical situations that are oppressive, but the revolutions always devolve into violent tyrannies themselves, right? So this problem, its I wish you, it was like the witch hunts. Wouldn't it be great if there was this group of witches and you could identify them, and they were the causes of all the evils in the village. They were turning people's crops dead, They were bewitching people, and then you could just round them up, eliminate them, and everything would be great. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be easy? What if the problem lies within every human heart? The problem of good and evil, the problem of power, the problem of tyranny, the problem of oppression. What if that's true on a deep fundamental level? And Until we deal with the deep psychological reality of the shadow sides of ourselves, we're just going to be in a cycle of war forever through projection. So Barbara Hanna, a Jungian analyst, invented this term that she called the introversion of war. And this was very important to Jung, the sense of eating our own flesh, drinking our own blood, taking back our own shadows, and dealing with the devil inside of ourselves. And uh, that is different than the typical political solution.
0: Yeah. Well, I will tell you that I found out another piece of history I didn't know about, but I'm not surprised. Uh, what what I found out I wasn't surprised when I read this, and I'm going to accept that it is true uh, just simply because of what we're experiencing now in this uh, in this particular decade or, or even past decade. Uh, but it's I certainly probably been going on as long. I read where an article where in the third second or third century AD there was a propaganda war, a propaganda war between. The pro and anti Catholic forces. Mm-hmm. And we already know who won that war. hmm Okay? Mm-hmm. But there was a propaganda war back then. Yeah. yeah. And it, it it just astounded me but didn't surprise me. It's like, yeah, that sounds like us. <laughs> We haven't haven't learned a damn thing. What we're going to learn from you in just a moment, I'm going to share something with you uh, as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story that I'd love for you to talk about as well, because it dovetails into what we've just been talking about here. As we continue New Paradigms for a New World with our special guest, uh, Dr. Thomas Elsner, and he's a Jungian analyst. And we are going to continue here as we talk about these, I think they're fascinating things on this program. Don't you you go away. uh, Stay right where you are. We are talking with Dr. Thomas Elsner. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I want to read something to you really quickly here. It's very fairly short because this does tend to dovetail into what we've just been talking about. Great. I know you're familiar with this, and our listeners probably are too. A young boy and his grandfather are sitting together, wistfully looking up into the distance. The grandfather sighed and said, I have a fight going on deep inside my chest. It takes place between two wolves. One is a black heart, black hearted, and he is full of self-pity, anger, envy, uh, sorrow, um, uh, regret, greed, guilt, resentment, stress, uh, inferiority, lies, false pride, uh, superiority, and ego. The elder Looked at his grandson, and went on. Uh, the uh, the other wolf's heart is full of joy and peace and love and hope, serenity, humanity, uh, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, uh, truth, true healing, compassion, and faith. Both wolves are strong and fight to the death. Mm. They fight to the death, and let me uh, let me find where we pick this up here because somehow mm. I managed to uh, evade the uh, after a long peaceful a long pause. Grandfather says uh, that uh, the fight is going on inside you too, my son, and every one, every other person too. The grandson grandson thought about it for a long while, and mm. then asked. Which wolf will win, Grandfather? And the Grandfather sighs and simply says, The one you feed. Hmm. When I was working for the Christian radio station, <clears throat> every pro- almost every program constantly was talking about the devil. The devil's here. The devil's there. The devil's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And someone said to me, uh, outside those confines, in more of the metaphysical realm that I was a part of outside of the station, whatever it is that you're looking for, you will find. Do you find that a lot of people that come to you seeking guidance, seeking help, seeking um, self-awareness, if you will, or, or so forth... Um, that's kind of where they're sort of stuck in that they're feeding, they're feeding. I don't want to say the wrong wolf because we have a dark and a light side and that's what makes us who we are. It's which one we choose as the phrase goes to feed that comes out.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, so brilliant story. I mean, the reason why we love that story is because it's full of wisdom. So it's a huge step forward in consciousness that if you can say there are two wolves in me and I have a dark side and I know what it is. And that's not just a the theory like, oh, I know I lie sometimes or everyone is bad or everyone has a dark side. I mean, specifically, you know, we know here's where my power issues are. Here's where I lied the other day. Here's where, I, you know, if I look outside at the people that bug me the most or that I think are the worst people culturally politically or personally and I can recognize that it lives in me that's a huge step forward in consciousness right
0: yeah
1: I mean just okay. that is a big deal you know and yeah and personally in analysis very often people come in and the problem's all outside you know like a <laughs> like a, I heard this comedian on the radio a few months ago he said you guys know what a Freudian slip is? This is the comedian speaking. You know what a Freudian slip is? He goes, I had a Freudian slip the other day. I was at breakfast with my wife, and I meant to see past the sugar. And instead, I said, you ruined my life, you bleep, 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 you know. So it's like, I know where the problem is. (laughs) It's outside. It's you. It's my wife. It's my husband It's my boss. It's the Republicans. It's the Democrats. It's the communists. It's the whatever, you know, whatever. So, the problem when I mean, we mostly start that way, we project out that dark wolf on the enemy outside of ourselves. It's a horrible problem. So, a lot of analysis does start with the beginning of reflection on projections. And it's horrible, horrible. Horror. It's not easy to, to you know, a, a famous Jungian analyst that was one of my mentors, Marion Woodman, she told me of a dream she had once that the dream said, How does it? feel to be the thing you fought against your whole life. How does that feel? I mean, feel, like not just an idea, but really. That's but for me that's the that's the first step forward in consciousness so we don't repeat all this stupid think of racism, wars, <laughs> homophobia, all of sexism, it's all projections of shadow sides that are unacknowledged, yeah. right? So this is the big deal in psychoanalysis. Jung said we don't become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. That's a type of enlightenment. Yeah. So
0: you, you know um, it, I, I use I use this analogy when it comes to these these situations where as you aptly put I've used the same comment to people that Gee, you know, from the Republican stand side, if we could get rid of all of the Democrats, life would just be a dream. And if the Democrats could get rid of all of the Republicans, oh my God, this would be a utopia. Well, I I respond to that with this: there are eight billion. Probably by the time we by the time this conversation is heard by others, we may have eight billion people on the planet. And I say, I am I am pretty certain. Based upon my conversations with a good friend of mine, Dr. Sky Steve Cates, who says that there are more cells in the human body than there are planets in the universe, which I find very interesting. But nonetheless, I'm sure that there are enough class M planets, Star Trek reference, uh, Google it, folks, uh, that each one of us could occupy a single planet and we could rule and we could be king or queen of that planet. But what's the reality? The reality is that we are all here now. Mm. And what that says to my logical brain and is reinforced by my intuition is that we're here together because we're here together to learn to work and play and love and live together, not apart mm. And uh, it's hard for me to listen to people talking about uh, conspiracies of this group, that group, this country, that country. Oh my God! Uh, this country is doing this. This particular uh, group of people is doing that. Under wanting to undermine this and that and the other thing, and it just—it's like. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I, I don't want to use some euphemisms of physical destruction. Or necessarily like, oh my God! I, I want to make it wants to make my head explode. No, I don't want to make my head explode. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, it just, it just, it defies rationale. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the biblical passage. I believe actually, it's in the Old Testament where it says, "Let us sit and reason together." Well, how do you reason? What do you use to reason together? Oh, my God, I think it's the brain. Really? The brain? All right. Then let's use our brains and reason together how we can stop this foolishness. Do you find yourself, uh, in spite of the fact that I'm pretty sure that you're obviously helping people, you've been doing the work you've been doing, what, for almost 20 years or 20 plus years?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yes.
0: And you've seen successes within your, uh, within your practice, uh, that people are leaving uh, your practice to go on and live productive lives and do the things that they've always wanted to do. And yet <laughs> you walk outside the door, whether it be physically or through uh, radio or television, and you hear the, the stupidity of mankind marching on.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yes, absolutely. It touches me deeply. It's um, let's sit together and reason together. That would be a great starting point. But also, sadly, the problem is so much deeper than rationality. I mean, John Adams had a dream that he wrote down and reported once that he was, you know, one of the founders of our country. And, you know, the, our country is founded on the, those kinds of principles that came from the Enlightenment. We don't want to just do what the king says. We don't want to just do what the pope says. We want to think for ourselves. Kant said in his essay, What is Enlightenment? Talking about the 18th century movement. He said it's defined by a Latin term, "Sapere aude, dare to know. Or dare, dare to think for yourself. Dare to have your own voice. And Kant said the reason why most people don't do that isn't intelligence. It's lack of courage because it's very difficult because you take criticism, then you're a heretic, then you're a criminal, then you're not in the in-group, then you're not on the right team, then no one likes you, then you're all alone. You know, to think for yourself, Kant said, takes a lot of courage. So John Adams had this dream that he was giving a speech to a whole menagerie of animals. He said, I was on the lecture and I prepared my oration with regard to the most proper skills of rhetorical, you know, structure, and I began my speech why can't we all reason together animals and come together and be one people? And then he said then the sh-, you know the elephants got edgy and the tigers started to growl and the birds started to flap up and before I knew it they had all attacked me and I was shredded to pieces and my lectern was exploded. And that's when he realized this naive idea that through intellect or theory or rationality that we can solve these problems of power and aggression is totally naive Mm. and he and he believed in all that stuff yeah but we're dealing with powerful energies in the unconscious that's one of the things if you work with people deeply you see these dimensions of themselves they don't tell their spouses they don't tell their best friends that and you see the resistance we all have towards even taking back a little bit of shadow it's so powerful it's not rational only there's there's a lot deeper, more emotional currents we're dealing with, yeah. Um, than than just preaching or reasoning.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know when the when it was the last time you read the preamble to the Constitution as well as the actual document, and just reading it to see what's in it. You know, you're not looking at it for mm. legal advice or anything or political advice. You're just saying, "Hey, I'm curious as to what the founding fathers were trying to say here. I think this is interesting." And. Uh, uh, you know, I love the preamble. Uh, we the people, in order to form a more perfect government, ensure domestic tranquility, establish justice, uh, promote the general welfare, and preserve the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. Now, that's, uh, I probably missed a little bit there, but, uh, that's, that's the gist of it. Beautiful words, great idea. I interviewed a gentleman who wrote a book about how we talked about how we needed to go back to a uh, rational form of government. And right out of the gate, my very first question to the man was, so when was the last time we, uh, the Americans, the United States of America, when was the last time we had a rational government? And I wasn't that surprised <laughs> The at surprise <did> his answer. <laughs> and he said, uh, about three minutes after the ink dried on the Constitution signatures.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because the moment the ink dried and it was set in stone, so to speak, or parchment in this case, Uh, everybody now was out to make sure their ox didn't get gored. Mm. And it's like the unification was great in in forming, the creation thereof. But for whatever reason, they just couldn't hold it together. Mm. And uh, this is kind of a subject I'd like to touch on here as we we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. And that is, when you look at someone who shares with you their story of their life and, and their upbringing, you're getting down to the nitty-gritty of where they come from and who they really are, both the dark and the light side. Yeah. And uh, you then are able to evaluate, if that's the right word, uh, ah, that makes a lot of sense why they are where they are today. Ah, perfect sense. Yeah. This country... Uh, whether people wish to acknowledge it or not, this country was birthed through violence. Now, some would say, well, but birth is sort of violent. I mean, you've got a woman screaming, you know, mm. get it out, get it out. You did this to me. Kind of, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, but yeah. after the birth, it's quiet and, oh, he's beautiful. He's perfect. She's perfect. She's got your eyes and, and da-da-da-da-da. But the reality is that I don't know of any country that there may be a few who were established. I want to say that there was one country that actually had not a GP, not a gross national product, uh, but a gross happiness product, if you will, uh, or index, you know. And I think it was Burma. Mm. Uh, And and they wanted to see how happy their people were. And I wonder how we would do in America in particular, because this is where we live. How we would do on that scale of say one to ten, one being not happy, period, and 10 being ecstatic, just over the moon, um, mm. but we don't want to acknowledge. I mean, there's a dark and a light side of us as individuals as we've talked about, but there's also a dark and a light side to us as a society, as a civil as each civilization, not just humanity, America. No. Mexico, China, India, England, Ireland, and so forth. Each country uh, has, had, has its light and dark sides. And yeah. it seems as though um, uh, if, you were to <laughs> if you were to psychoanalyze America, mm-hmm. it seems as though there are some segments of America that don't want to even look... At the dark side, but it's the dark side mixed with the light that has put us where we are today.
1: Um, I'll, i I would just say, that who does want to look at the dark side? Some <laughs> segments of the population. I mean, it's <laughs> who does that? Who does that? For real? For real? It's often what I tell my clients: like analysis is like. If you take the metaphor of the last supper and Christ was the first to eat his own flesh and drink his own blood, it's a metaphor that comes up sometimes in dreams and celebrating a last supper with ourselves and eating down to the dregs, the totality of our psychosomatic reality. Who does that? I mean, I promise you no one wants to, True. no one wants to, you know, and it's really, right. it's really tough. So it's something, if you think of politically, Um, the psychological response to politics is deeper than the political response to me because more universal and more fundamental because everyone has a psychology Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter your political party everyone has a a shadow, everyone has a brain and a body and and life experiences Um, I've worked with people on the far right in my practice the far left on my practice and I can say that for sure when you look at people that have extreme political views it, it, there's trauma behind that mm. there's there's trauma both ways i mean right and left that is not susceptible to rational Analysis or discussion is religion it's
0: not on that level. Is religion or philosophy, as I like to use that word instead of religion, uh, is the same thing true in that uh, in that particular realm um, uh, where they have adopted a particular philosophy because. Uh, I mean, I was born Roman Catholic. I'm no longer practicing because I got it right. But I consider myself a metaphysician because I like what Baha'u'llah said about how uh, if you accept one of the messengers of God, you accept them all. If you reject one of them, you reject them all. Whereas my eldest sister, she went off to a very rigid form of what we'll we'll call Christianity uh, that was, if it's not in the book, then we don't talk about it kind of thing. Although we have a very good relationship, don't get me wrong. Um, but, um, I'm just wondering if, 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 if the political realm, is it more severe in the political realm than in others?
1: Well, there's two subjects we don't talk about at polite dinner conversations, religion and politics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, guess, guess why? Well, two reasons why that's where our highest values lie. If you touch someone's highest value, it's, 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 it's not open to interpretation. Right. And that's where our most defenses lie, too, is to protect ourselves, to keep those values true. We need them to be true. Um, So, yeah, religion and politics. I mean, they, they are filled with what Jung would say, I would say, too, archetypal imagination. Political fantasies are full of fairy tale devils and angels and new worlds and recreations and heavens on earth and apocalypses. That's all fairy tale stuff, and religion also is filled with archetypal symbols and imagination. Those can be beautiful, life-enhancing, productive um, dynamisms to contact. Nice. And without them, life would be meaningless. And they can also be used as defenses, as well to protect ourselves from other points of view or other people that don't share our which can be threatening to us. That's called fundamentalism. So, you know, is religion good or bad? Is politics good or bad? I mean, it's it's both. And it depends on how open or closed or defended or fundamentalist we are or, or not, in yeah. my opinion.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and of course, you just opened the door. I'm not going to go into it, but you know the story, the, the Chinese proverb about the farmer and his neighbor. And the neighbor comes over every day to ask how things are going, and the farmer tells him, and the neighbor says, Oh, that's good. Oh, that's bad. And the farmer responds, well, who's to say whether that's good or bad? Because each day something else happens and it flips to the other direction for the neighbor. Oh, that's good. Who's to say? Oh, that's bad. Who's to say? Uh, And so I think that's one of the the things that we have in common. By the way, um, I want to dovetail back onto the father issue for just a moment and then we're going to wrap things up here because I, I, I was able to work myself through a process where I could accept... And finally, release myself from the grip of of my mind, giving uh, free rental space. Okay, as the phrase goes, you know, uh, to a particular individual. Now, in June of 2020, under the old administration, uh, the then president was uh, having a rally in Phoenix, Arizona, my hometown, mm-hmm. and I had just happened to be watching the TV. I wasn't actually listening; I was just watching. And I had reached a place where I was actually able to say from a very humble and heartfelt position, I love you. Okay, you're a human being. You deserve to be here just like everybody else. I don't know what your issues are. And you know what? It doesn't matter what they are. You're a human being. Okay. So I'm watching this and I'm looking at and, and I'm who I'm looking at now is the president of the United States, the leader of the free world. Uh, suppose you know and 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 when i think about that position i think about and a father figure a mentor a comforter and it was at the height of the pandemic and what really hurt me more than anything was that i couldn't turn to him and say hey could you give me some words of comfort and solace because i i'm i'm feeling a little vulnerable i'm a little scared about about what's going to happen. And I'm usually a very optimistic person. I don't get sucked into mm. a all of that. Mm. But I'm seeing what's happening and how many people are getting sick and dying. And I don't want to have that happen but to me, my family, my friends here in Santa Barbara. Could, could I talk to you for a little while? And what came back to me was, no, you can't. Because yeah. you're not part of the in crowd. You don't believe the way that you have to believe in order to even get into the crowd, let alone get near to the president of the United States. And I have to tell you, it was it was it, for that moment. It was heartbreaking because I love my father, who is 90 this year, 90 August of 2021. He's 90 years old. And we have the greatest of relationships over the phone uh, and. I I I can't even imagine what it would be like to be disowned by him now, after mm. everything we've experienced together, the growing up and all of that stuff. And there I was, wanting to get solace from this this man in this position, and knowing that I couldn't, because mm. again, my perception my perception is he doesn't care, because you mm-hmm. don't you don't you don't toe the party line. Well, I yeah. didn't pull the party line when I, was a, when I was working for the Christian station either. I was I was referred to when I left as a casualty of Christian radio, but yeah. that aside, wow. I find that we get we we tap into these archetypes as as you talked about, and then um, what is the phrase? Oh, they say, uh, you don't ever want to meet your heroes, kind of thing, right? Is that mm. you know? Um, And so there we are. Uh, And so now we have this wound, okay, uh, that wasn't inflicted by that person, but it's all my perception. It's all my observation and so forth. Uh, And so there's a certain element there of um, non-reality, It's Mm. it's an illusion. Or as Lewis Black would say, it's an illusion. (laughs) But you know you know what I'm talking about, right? Because you kind of alluded to it earlier.
1: Well, I definitely know what you're talking about, and Richard, I so appreciate. I mean, look how transparent you are to your own mind as you're able to to feel into not just intellectually but the need for a father, what it would be like to be rejected, feeling rejected. These are all that. This is the imagination going on in the background politically all the time. I mean, there's Trump there, but there's a father or a hero or a devil or a tyrant or something big, yeah. and you're you can you're aware of what that is in you. That process of imagination, I would say, that's present along with the reality of of this person, and um, I would say the projection. You're aware of the projection. For you,
0: mm-hmm. You're right. different for
1: different people. Don't, I don't put but it. On, I
0: don't put yeah. it on anybody else. None of what we talk about, or what I talk about, and right. my observations, do I put on anybody else?
1: But how beautiful that is! I mean, you can say, "Oh, I'm projecting a father onto this person, or the need, or the lack of a father that hurts." That's what's going on in the background. Um, I remember to take a, you know, to take it back in time, maybe a little politically less heated. The 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 Catholic charities, they have an event every year during the presidential elections. They invite the presidential candidates. I remember the one with Obama and McCain, you know, the Catholic charities event, black tie event, and they roast each other, the candidates. I
0: remember. I remember. So, you know,
1: one of the things McCain said, for instance, was, you know, Maverick, I can do, but Messiah is beyond my pay scale.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, Obama
1: got up. He said, contrary to popular opinion was not born in a manger (laughs) (laughs) you know they joke about this stuff but it's so there in the background all the time all the time archetypal imagination projected onto political figures so taking those things back off them you never want to meet your heroes that can be movie stars political whatever it is it's it's this process of taking back oh that's a hero that person carries a hero project or a savior projection for me you know and i can't depend on or you know i can if i'm aware of that i have the potential to not project or that person carries the devil for me if that's the devil there's no discussion anymore you know where is that in me and for you you know i would just say well now you have a sense of your own authority and uh, you're closer to your own sense of, of of comfort Being able to be the father for yourself, so to speak, not needing a political figure to carry that image for you once you're aware.
0: Dr. Thomas Elsner is my guest, and we are on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And uh, uh, we are, I have to say, having uh, an incredible conversation here, and I am so grateful for his being here on the program, and I hope that you will stay with us. As we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, you know, folks, we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Whether it's Jungian, and it's not Jungian, it's Jungian <laughs> psychology, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm one of those uh, very precise individuals. I want to pronounce people's names correctly. I want to make sure I get pronunciations correctly. However, there are times when, for example, uh, when I, uh, Whenever I um, pronounce certain words such as coincidence, I don't believe in them, but I do believe in coincidences. And I would say that, and my, my deepest thanks and appreciation to Emily Yurchison for uh, referring you to me here on this program to talk about these subjects. And it's been great to converse about all of what we've talked about. And there's so much more to talk about, uh, that I'm going to ask you to come back on the program again, um, to, to, Basically, uh, continue our conversation because I know there's some uh, there are other areas that we can talk about. I know that we are facing another pandemic, and I'm not talking a virus—at least not in the conventional sense. I'm talking about depression and anxiety, and we're gonna have we are going to have a mental health pandemic uh, if we're not careful. If we don't start dealing with what's real. And what's really going on. In, and this is going to require us to look at the dark side, isn't it? Yeah.
1: But sadly, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think so. So let's, let's, thank you, Richard. I just want to say it was a great pleasure to me. And I love your transparency. Like I said earlier, eloquence and openness. and. So it's great. Great talking with you. Well, thank you very
0: much. I do have three final questions that I want to ask you that I ask all of my guests. Uh, You may have addressed them during the program, but I uh, like to ask them directly. Before I do that, I want to thank you for listening and watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices. To help make your dreams come true, Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., 9 a.m. on Wednesdays for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We are podcasting at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify. We are also on iHeartRadio as well as Amazon Music and many other locations, too numerous to mention. We're on YouTube at Tell Me Your Story. That's the name of the channel. We hope that you'll go there. You'll watch the videos. You'll subscribe every time I post a new one. I think we're up to about 140 videos up there since last July or August, so I hope that you will take a look and listen. And also, if uh, what we're doing, what we're talking about, what we're sharing is helpful to you, it resonates with you, and you'd like to support the work we're doing you know we would greatly appreciate that we really would every dollar that we are uh, given and it, uh, we've been doing this for now three or four years asking uh... has gone to support this program to take care of whatever little financial issues we have we have a paypal account that is for your security as well as ours and uh, one area we really didn't get into which also i want to talk about we want you to participate in the decade of perfect vision the twenty twenties We want you to spend time going within to that calm, quiet, peaceful place, listening to that still small voice, giving you guidance and inspiration, encouragement, information that is only for you. And uh, it will help you to move from day to day to week to week, month to month, year to year. I use it all the time. It took me a long time to trust it uh, implicitly. Uh, and a, hey, I still have my moments, but I usually acquiesce, and it usually helps me uh, get through things a whole lot better than they would have if I hadn't listened. So please take the time to do that. So now back to our guest and uh, the three questions that I put to the uh, guest right after at the end of the program, and that is: first of all, who is Thomas Elsner? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you you want a short answer to that i mean it's that's a that i would say the and the question should be what is as well as who is because the who for me is i could tell you i was born in los angeles you know i grew up was went to private school in sherman oaks i was adopted i went to law school i became a Jungian analyst i have two children you know The things you can know, who is Tom Elsner? Then there's the question of what, what is Tom Elsner? And that's the question that opens up the unconscious and the unknown and the, and the, the transpersonal or archetypal makeup of, (laughs) of what we call destiny or fate. That's the question of self-knowledge. That's, that's a, that's the big question.
0: What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now?
1: Um, I do like you, want to be of service to people, to individuals and also to a process that I see happening in individual lives and in the culture of death and rebirth and renewal. And when I touch that process with the people I work with, that that's the that's the moments that are my best best times, my best days, you could say. very meaningful.
0: And finally, what is your life's purpose?
1: Unknown. I mean, un really unknown. That's a big question mark for me and I'm open to the mystery, whatever that is for me to give an answer to that would be assumed that I know the answer. I don't, I don't know the answer. It goes step-by-step step in an unfolding way with the help of my dreams and life um, and, and things continuously change and transform. If, if you would have said, Hey Tom, when you're 20 years old, if you would have said, Tom, you're going to be a Jungian analyst, you know, I wouldn't even know what you were talking about. I would have never thought I would go see a psychotherapist, let alone become one of them. You know, so that's a big, big, wide open sea, a vast sea of expanse comes to my mind with that question.
0: Well, Dr. Thomas Elsner, again, I thank you so much for joining us on the program. Uh, before we go, is there a website that you would want to send people to to find out more about if, if it's you, great, or about Jungian psychology? We will be linked to that website so people can continue their, uh, their evolutionary and transformational process.
1: Um, sure. I have a website. It's thomasner.org. So T-H-O-M-A-S-E-L-S-N-E-R.org. And you can find out more about me there. I have some articles posted there and other podcasts. And sometimes I also teach seminars and classes that I can post there as well.
0: Fantastic. Again, I thank you so much for giving us so much time. This has been great. And we will have you back to talk about those other areas and many, our, many more uh, here on the program.
1: Really look forward to it. Thank you.
0: You bet. Thank you, Richard. And I yeah. thank you for listening and watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World. Giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lull.